The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, good morning, Neighborhood Church. Merry Christmas. It's November, but we are in Advent week one. <laughs> well, Christmas is upon us. Well, you know, as I thought about, uh, you know, Christmas time, and it usually brings me to memories of past Christmases, usually when I was a kid. And I have a question that I wanted to ask you guys to, to open this morning. First off, I want to know who were the children growing up in your homes who never snooped at all, never snooped and uh, found the Christmas presents you know, you you were faithful and you trusted your parents and you said, okay, I'm not going to snoop around and I won't find the Christmas present. Wow, okay, so we have a lot of really dishonest people in the room. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, so that means the rest of you were snoopers, right? <laughs> okay, so I was a terrible snooper too. I really was. I was a bad snooper. My brother and I, we would, uh, you know, find all the places where our parents had hid the presents. And uh, there's one specific Christmas where we were bold enough. We went upstairs. It was probably like 3 or 4 a.m. at this point. My dad had set up Christmas, you know, after the kids supposedly went to bed. And, uh, you know, we got out the stockings and we took out the stockings bit by bit and uh, placed them all in order so that we could see what was in them, but then we could put them back in the right order to make sure no one suspected anything, you know. So, uh, you know, Gabe and I, we were, we were bad, bad snoopers. But I hope this morning, you know, Gabe and I got this little glimpse of Christmas morning, of, of the gifts, of, of the glory of a Christmas, right, as a child. I hope this morning is kind of like that for us in the, in the message today, that, that we get a small glimpse and a, and a foretaste of what Christmas and the true joy of Christmas really is in the hope. We're celebrating the first week of Advent, and it, it emphasizes hope, trusting in God's promises and His acts for faith today. And our theme this, this year is a weary world rejoices, a weary world rejoices. So we're going to look at a passage this morning that will give us something to be joyful, something to rejoice as we look ahead to Jesus being born. So let's pray before we begin. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for Jesus coming to this earth in little baby form and humility and love. Thank you for sending us this gift of hope that this world is not the end, that he establishes a kingdom that will be forever and we can be a part of that. Thank you so much for this hope. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to start just by going through, we've been in uh, a little historical overview. We've been in Exodus for about a month, or two months, excuse me, two to three months actually. We've been in Exodus, we've been learning about God's pursuit of his people, his loving pursuit, and how much he desires to be made known through his people, his saving grace, the redemption of his people. And so I wanted to take us through to get to our story today, but kind of fill in some historical gaps. So after Exodus happens and the Israelites make it to the promised land, where God had intended to have this relationship with his people and peace and rest, this kind of started to wane quickly. Because once the people end in Canaan, they look around and they say, 
to God, we want a king like the other nations around us. We want someone to rule over us. God warned the people that if you have a king, he will take you and he will enslave you. He will take your daughters, he will take your sons and put them in the military. Of course, Israel didn't listen to the warning, so God gave them Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul was not a good king. He led the people away from the heart of God. And so God cut off the line of his kingship, and he passed his kingly blessing on to a young shepherd boy named David. And David was faithful to God. He was imperfect and flawed, yes, but he ultimately was given the title of man after God's own heart. David's reign was prosperous for Israel, not only physically, but spiritually. He served the Lord. He worshiped him. And then David's son Solomon became one of the wisest men known to earth. After he asked the Lord for wisdom, when God came to him and said, I'll give you whatever you wish while you're king. But Solomon's reign, however, though he was wise, it became riddled with personal sin and family corruption. And his two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, fought over the throne of Israel, and eventually that led to the splitting of the kingdom of Israel into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And from here on out, most of the people walked away from the Lord under the control of wicked kings. There were times of repentance, and certain kings, very briefly, mostly under the kingdom of Judah, led the people back to the Lord. But there was this cycle that we see in the Old Testament where the people sinned and ran away from the Lord, and God punished them, and they repented and turned to the Lord, and God welcomed them back into relationship. This went on for about 450 years in both kingdoms. But finally, the sin became so great and there was no repentance in the people's hearts that the Lord God conveyed a different message through his prophets, that the people would be exiled and thrown out of the promised land for a time. So first, the kingdom of Israel was defeated by the Assyrian Empire. And then about 120 years later, the kingdom of Judah was taken over by the Babylonian Empire. And the Hebrew nation, the Israelite nation, found itself again in the clutches of slavery and destitution and hopelessness. But God did not give up on his promise to them to be their God and they his people. Nor did he forget his promise to their father Abraham that through them a Messiah, a Redeemer, would come to the world to be the payment for that people's sin so they can live with God in right relationship. No, God was just as committed to his word and fulfillment of his promises than when he first breathed them in hu into humanity's story. So how do we know this? Well, in the Babylonian exile, when the Israelites were taken into captivity, God spoke more hope into the world and into his people while the Israelites lived under King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's our story for today. And God chose to use a prophet by the name of Daniel, to be his messenger to King Nebuchadnezzar. So in our story, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. It's where we're going to rest this morning. Where we're going to see the hope of God come through a dream. A promise of a kingdom that will be established through Jesus. So I'm going to briefly summarize the uh, first chapter and parts of chapter 2. But the Israelites 
in the kingdom of Babylon, in the land of Babylon, hundreds of miles away from their promised land, living in exile in servitude under King Nebuchadnezzar. This is where we come to in Israel's history. Well, the King Nebuchadnezzar, he had been having some troubling dreams for a time. So he asked his wise men, who were not worshipers of the Lord, to not only interpret this dream he kept having, this very troubling dream, but to tell him the dream itself as proof of their wisdom and capabilities. In Daniel chapter 2, the king is so troubled by these dreams, and he also desires so much the proof of his wise men, he tells them that if they cannot tell him the dream itself, that they shall surely be torn limb from limb, and all their households will be destroyed. As you can imagine, these Chaldean wise men shuffled around a bit in front of the king. They tried to stall, and so the king ordered all the wise men in the kingdom to be destroyed. Enter Daniel. He was a wise man of Babylon, but he's more like an up-and-comer, which is why he wasn't in the court of the king at this time. He had been selected as a wise man, and he was in training, basically. So, Daniel, a wise man, had just been given the order of execution. And so this captain of the guard from the king came to Daniel's house to kill him. And Daniel inquired what it was that made the king give such an order. After the guard told Daniel of the king's desire surrounding his dream, Daniel begged for an audience with Nebuchadnezzar. It was granted. Before he went to the king with an answer, though, Daniel brought this concern to his God-fearing brothers, and they sought the mercy of the Lord so that Daniel might receive a vision of the dream and its interpretation from God. The Lord granted this petition, and Daniel went and saw the king. And Daniel declared that it was not anything in himself that brought this revelation to mind. But in chapter 2, verse 28, Daniel says, But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So we pick up here in our story, Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45, to listen to Daniel's description of the dream and the interpretation. So let's begin verse 31. Daniel's before the king, and he's telling him this vision. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, verse 36. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them, you are the head of gold. 
Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. But as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to you, the king, what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Now, if you're reading Daniel for the first time, or this may be one of the few times you have opened up the Bible to the book of Daniel, I am glad that you are here this morning because together we will see more clearly how Jesus is at the center of the whole Bible, not only the stories in the New Testament, and that Christmas had been a long time coming, even 550 years before Jesus was born, and well before that. See, Daniel begins with telling the king his dream which of course must have been the true dream, because if it wasn't, the king would have had Daniel's body torn limb from limb, like he said. The king had this dream of this gigantic statue, and each body part was a different material as you went down the statue, mostly precious metals. And these metals represented different political powers of the earth, different kingdoms, the top being Nebuchadnezzar's, the Babylonian Empire. And then the rest subsequently were the next kingdoms to come. And from the beginning, the interpretation of the dream starts with God's plan that these powers all have control for a time, starting with the Babylonian rule. In verse 37, Daniel points to Nebuchadnezzar's greatness, and specifically that it is only allowed by God that he has become so great as far as earthly kings can be in wealth and power and dominion. I mean, that's pretty bold. The king of the known world is before you, and he has all the power, all the authority, and he's actually just given a command that you should be torn limb from limb if you can't describe this dream, right? And Daniel trusts in the Lord and tells him, great king, your power is only yours because God allows it. That is bold and courageous. That is faithful obedience. But Babylon's greatness will not be the end of the kingdoms on earth. There will be other kingdoms, that's what Daniel says, the Lord through Daniel, and more of them in different kinds that will follow. One earthly kingdom, as it falls, leads way for another to rise up and supplant it. Oh, I think about technology and innovation as Daniel's describing the kingdoms. 
just for fun, I looked up, uh, <laughs> I googled things that have become superfluous or non-existent that were once cutting edge. Now, this is a list, right? So I, I'm surprised at the first one. Do you guys remember a thing called, uh, or at least a candy bar, Butterfinger BBs? Does anyone remember that? This is like my favorite. Oh, my favorite. And I didn't know they were my favorite until I looked at this list and saw that they're no longer <laughs> being produced, which, of course, they haven't been around for a long time. Are these, this one's before my time. What about rotary phones? Rotary phones. I mean, I remember my grandparents had these in their homes, and, like, you know, they go all the way across to the, the numbers. You hope that there wasn't a zero in the number, or else that you had to wait the longest, right, or something like that. I remember, I remember my grandparents had those. What about dial-up connection for the Internet? You guys remember doing that? Well, that's right. VCRs. Whenever I think of a VCR, I have to think of Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster was a thing. You go to the store, you rent the VHS for a night, and it was like four bucks. All right, great time spent in Blockbuster. What about Razor phones? Any of you have a Razor phone back in the day and just love the Razor phone? I've never met someone who owned a Razor phone and didn't love it, right? So all these things have become superfluous, though, right? There's been new technology. There's been new innovation. And, and this is just like the kingdoms of the earth, they will pass away. They will be supplanted by other kingdoms of the earth. And they'll give way to other kingdoms. But Daniel goes on to describe this dream, and, and this is the focal point of his interpretation. Daniel says, As you looked, king, a stone was cut out by no human hand. This means that it, this stone was not created by man. Its power was not given by another man. And it was not the power of man itself, but something other than the powers of the earth had created this, had given this stone its form, its shape. And it stuck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. And the rest of the statue was destroyed and the pieces of it becoming like chaff, blown away by the wind. This is the focal point of Daniel's interpretation here this morning. And the powers of this world, he's saying, the governments and kingdoms will ultimately fall. They will become useless. They will be superseded and shadowed by God's establishment of his everlasting kingdom through Christ, through Jesus. This kingdom that Jesus will establish, the rock of our salvation, through his life and the work on the cross and the resurrection. Well, how do we know this? How do we know that Jesus is the rock Jesus is the one who is talked about in this revelation. Well, let's look at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Paul says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And in Isaiah, prophecy about this stone. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen says, So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. 
So Christ is this stone. He is the stone that will end the worldly kingdoms, that will bring in a different kind of kingdom, one of godly power, one of heavenly power, not of human means, one of forgiveness, one of love, of grace, perfection. And we find in Isaiah that when we rely on Christ, when we look to Jesus as the center of our life, we follow him, that we actually will never be stricken with panic. So that leads me to thinking that if we rely on Christ, we're never stricken with panic, then placing our trust in something else of this world leads us to weariness. And that's our point number one this morning. Trusting in worldly power, people, and plans leads to weariness. I love how our story begins with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he is stuck. He is a king that is stuck. He's struggling with this dream. He doesn't understand it. He's confused by it. And he can't go forward with his life until he finds an answer to his problem. But who does he turn to? He turns to the Chaldeans. He turns to the wise men of the world that led to his ultimate frustration, his anger, and his rash decision-making. So the question this morning is, what are, what are we stuck on and frustrated with life? What thoughts and questions run through our minds that lead us to frustration and to weariness? It could be the weight of past relationships. It could be current relationships that we're having trouble with. Could be the general evil of the world and thinking about wars and the oppression, the hunger and the needs that this world has. In this time of season, a lot of people find themselves very lonely, far from God. Or maybe it's just a personal sin that you've allowed to creep into your heart and to occupy your mind, something you can't get past. What is it that our focus is on right now that leads us to trust in the worldly things or worldly wisdom or teachings. And the next question is, once we've located that, is where do we turn for the answer? Where do we seek the answer? Do we find the idea from a selected source or the truth that God is teaching us through His Word and His people? Do we find an answer from the world, the world's people, the world's power, or do we rely on God's power and His wisdom? And this time of year, we can fill our minds with everything but God's Word. Movies, shopping, decorations, parties, visiting Santa in the shopping mall, holiday foods and goodies, and about a million other things. All, of course, are wonderful things. But we know that Christmas joy and peace this year is only lasting when our eyes are fixed on the one child, Jesus, who will usher in his mighty kingdom of grace and forgiveness and truth. And the truth is that when we look at ourselves and we look to ourselves and other worldly wisdom or power which ultimately mocks God and his ways, we lead ourselves into frustration and weariness, into a life of doubt and unfulfillment. This is one of my favorite Advent readings, John Piper's uh, The Dawning of Indestructible Joy. It's an awesome Advent reading. We also have more Advent readings outside in the front in the foyer, which you are welcome to take home with your family and read those this season. 
But one of my favorite quotes from John Piper in this reading says this, and this is what God does again and again. He may be doing it for you this Advent season, graciously and tenderly frustrating you with life that is not centered on Christ and filling you with longings and desires that can't find their satisfaction in what this world offers, but only in the God-man Jesus. What a Christmas gift that might be. Let all your frustrations with this world throw you onto the Word of God. It will become sweet, like walking into paradise. May we throw off self-reliance, worldly ways this Christmas, so that our life can better reflect His ways, His love, His mercy for this world. Let's continue reading Daniel chapter 2, 46-48. This is the end of the story in Daniel. This is the effect that Daniel has on the king. After his telling of the vision, his interpretation of the vision and the dream, this is what Nebuchadnezzar has done in response. Verse, 20, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Reading this passage leads us into our second point this morning, that if we, if we trust in God and His power and His plans, this leads to our rejoicing. If trusting in the world, the world's power and people leads to weariness, then trusting in God and His power and His plans through Jesus leads to rejoicing. See, Daniel, when, when he was met with terror, when he was met with his life being threatened, he immediately paused, conferred with his brothers in faith. He trusted God's power and his plan for his life. And we look at Nebuchadnezzar that once Nebuchadnezzar trusted in Daniel, the representative or the servant of the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar's life was met with clarity. His vision was met with the truth and his weariness with relief. I think about Patrick Mahomes this moment. <laughs> I mean, that man can do amazing things with the football. I mean, he has proved over and over how many times when we're down by six points, we're down by eight points, we're down by seven points, and there's virtually no time on the clock, but he has the ball, it's going to happen, right? It's just going to happen. He's so good at football especially when you consider there's a bunch of professional athletes on the field trying to keep him from accomplishing his goals, right? He is so good. And, and when Patrick Mahomes gets, gets the ball, it's like, I, I know he's going to score a touchdown. I just know it. It's going to happen. He's going to make it happen. In a very less athletic and less football way, right, trusting in God is a sure thing. And it will lead to rejoicing. We trust Patrick, Patrick, you're going to get the ball, you're going to get a touchdown, and then the whole room goes crazy when it happens, right? We're jumping up and down, high-fiving, screaming, 
Well, it's this way when we trust in God. We understand that we are on God's team. We're on His kingdom, in His kingdom that will never end, that is all-powerful, it's all-encompassing, and it will never be conquered. We trust God's plan for our daily lives, and, and we trust this salvation that He offers through Jesus. We live out our true purpose as His creation. We glorify Him, we reflect His beauty, His worth to the world, and when we do this, He renews our strength. He renews our spirit and our minds and our hearts as we continually trust Him, and we are led in the paths of a right living. You might have this verse memorized, but Proverbs 2, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. As I'm thinking about the last point of application for this morning, this is all just application from this story and Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and this dream and Daniel conveying the new kingdom that will come when Christ is born and he ushers in forgiveness, love, a kingdom that can't be measured with hands or the amount of wealth, but in hearts and minds and people. But this is point number three this morning. Let's reveal the true story of Christmas to the weary world. Like Daniel, who courageously trusted the Lord to communicate God's revelation to Nebuchadnezzar, who would have killed him if he was wrong. I'm sure for Daniel that was very intimidating and scary, but he trusted in the Lord. Let's communicate the story of Christmas to the weary world because the weary world doesn't know what rejoicing is yet. We must tell them about the baby who was born to do away with the powers of this world, the powers of sin, and to usher in his own power for our good and our rejoicing. This baby Jesus would go on to live a perfect life and exemplify loving God and loving others so that we could grow in faith and love of God. And he eventually gave himself for the world so that the world would no longer stay in darkness and sin but it could respond to its creator's loving call to follow him and to taste and see that he is good to lead to this hope of eternal life. So let's start by sharing this Christmas story, being courageous, looking to Daniel, looking to God, sharing the story with our families first. Let's make a plan this Christmas time. Let's get a devotional or daily or weekly reading plan set to go through the Christmas story as a family. Like I said, there's devotionals, there's Advent readings out there, they're great. You can purchase this one uh, at Mardell or online easily for just a few bucks. It's a wonderful time. Let's dive in together. And then personally, take extra care that this whole season doesn't fly by you without proper pause and reflection on the miracle and beauty of the Nativity. Be diligent in your devotions and prayer time. Don't let the hecticness draw you away from your relationship with God. And at last, realize that there are Nebuchadnezzars everywhere. (laughs) People who are lost in their frustrations and angry with life and who have no idea what Christmas is really about or who Jesus really is and who need a message of hope from you. 
a survey was done by Gallup in 2019 that said 93% of Americans said that they were planning to celebrate Christmas, but only 50% planned on attending church at Christmas time. That means 43% of Christmas celebrations are Christless. That's where you and me come in. To make sure that we take this true meaning of Christmas, the coming of our Savior and Messiah Jesus, when He came into the world, so that every person will have the opportunity to turn to Him, to repent of their sins, to follow Him, so that their weariness can be turned to rejoicing because of the forgiveness and the hope of Christ. This morning we read how Daniel and the Israelites were given hope that God had not forgotten them, that he was sending the one who will usher in a new heavenly kingdom, making all others disintegrate in comparison. This is hope for Daniel and all of Israel, and it is hope for us today. Jesus, born in the manger, is good news of great rejoicing that you and I can be a part of a heavenly kingdom with Jesus as our royal Savior. That we can have eternal life through this child born to die on the cross for our sins. If you're interested in putting your faith in Jesus this morning, I would love to talk to you more about this. If you're already a follower of Jesus, consider what part of your life isn't under his kingly rule. What corner of your life have you decided to keep from God? Bring it into the light this Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6-7, famous passage and prophecy from Isaiah. who He prophesied 150 years before Daniel. But this is the focal point of, of Christmas prophecy. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government or the sovereign authority, his rule shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and prince of peace. And of the increase of his government, of his reign, of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So let this festive season truly be a time for rejoicing when we behold the child in the manger and lay all our life down for His glory because He is worthy of all that we have to offer and infinitely more. Let more of Jesus kindly rule into your life this Christmas than ever before and it will be a Christmas of true rejoicing, a Christmas of lasting hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You this morning for Your word from Daniel. Thank You for this hope that You offer to us that this world is not the end, but the powers here are not where we should place our trust, put our hope in, but that Christmas is this reminder that our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the plan of the cross, what He did, the life He lived, the salvation He offers us. I pray that we would take this this Christmas season, we would take this hope to the weary world, the world which celebrates Christmas just as another cultural event, to have family over, to eat a big feast, 
But God, let us take this joy of Christmas, the peace of Christmas, the love of Christmas through Christ to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.